Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I am so excited that you joined us today. Because my guest today is Dr. Anita Johnson. She's a clinical psychologist and eating disorder specialist. And this was absolutely one of my favorite interviews. Her book is an Eating in Light of the Moon. And if you're like me, work and working in the field of eating disorder, you probably heard about her book. I often give her book to my clients as a gift and recommend it. And I hear over and over how this woman, her message, Dr. Johnson's message is resonate with them in a deeper, meaningful way. She talks about how our hunger and obsession around food and our body might be indicated that we're struggling emotionally. And in this episode, she talks about how our obsession with different food might talk about our the challenges in different areas of our lives. I highly recommend you guys to keep listening. Dr. Anita Johnson, PhD, is a depth psychologist and author of Eating in the Light of the Moon, which has been published in six languages. She is the co-creator of the online course, Light of the Moon Cafe, which is an interactive workbook and women's support circle for eating in the light of the moon. And she is the author of a book chapters and other professional journal articles. She has been working in the field of women's issues and disordered eating for over 35 years and is currently the clinical director of 
Ipuno, Hawaii, which has outpatient eating disorder programs in Honolulu, the Big Island of Hawaii, and a residential treatment program in Maui. Dr. Johnson provides individual consultation online and conducts soul hunger workshops and professional training around the world using metaphor and storytelling along with her training as a clinical psychologist to address the complex issues that underline struggles with eating, weight, and body image. Before I go to our interview today, I wanted to ask you for a huge favor. It means a lot to me if you take a moment and rate us and leave us an honest review in iTunes or Stitcher. It helps this show to reach a broader audience, and I cannot wait to hear your feedback. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Anita Johnson. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to have Dr. Anita Johnson join us in the show today. As I mentioned during the introduction, I love her book, Eating the Light of the Moon. Before I met her at a conference, like I attended one of her presentations and I was like the book was recommended to me by many of my colleagues. And it's just, she is such a well-respected, wonderful, insightful psychologist in the field of eating disorder. And I'm so excited to have her on. Dr. Johnson, welcome to our show. Thank you. What a lovely introduction. <laughs> Aww, thank you. Again, just an honor to have you on the show. One of the things, so one of my area of expertise is eating disorders. And also I see lots of couples, individuals coming in with sexual challenges and intimacy challenges. And it's interesting. I don't necessarily see this self-image body image challenge only in the female who's struggling with eating disorder. Definitely, I see more of it with them. But with some of my other clients that their challenges around sexuality, I see the challenge that they have, the negative self-talk they have around their body. So why do you think are so many women these days are dissatisfied with their body? Well, <laughs> I think there's a lot of reasons. And the most obvious ones are, are that you know, we're given messages in the media of a particular body shape or type or size that is considered to be attractive or sexy. And it's a such a narrow uh, definition that very, very, very few women can obtain it. And, and it's not meant to be obtained. It's somebody else's idea about what a woman is supposed to look like uh, that, that, for some reason, uh, the media has jumped onto for quite some time now. So, so you know, you have girls growing up today that have been given those images and recognize that they don't look like that, and so you know they assume there's something wrong with them. And so, I think at the more surface level, and not not to discount that influence because it's significant and and has caused, unfortunately massive amount of suffering in women because they feel that there's something wrong with the way they look. But I think a, a deeper, more profound issue for that is that we live in a culture 
that literalizes everything and doesn't really know how to respond to what I call the invisible forces. And, and so what happens is these forces get concretized. And what I'm talking about is, is we live in a culture that doesn't understand the balance, for example, between feminine and masculine energies. And, and it may sound like I'm, I'm speaking in a gendered way, but I'm really not. I'm, I'm speaking about general principles that exist within all of us, male and female. So all of us have a side of ourselves that is called the masculine uh, in Jungian tradition, but it's also called yang in Asian traditions. And that's the logical, linear, goal, achievement-oriented side of ourselves that's, that's active and external, and and but we all have a feminine side men women whatever gender you identify with also have a feminine side that is more internal that is emotional it is intuitive it is receptive it is it is concerned about instincts and connection with all things now these are forces they are Jung called them archetypes, which which are energies that are to the psyche what genes, G-E-N-E-S, are to the body. We're born with them. But we don't live in a culture that understands how to work with them, and it literalizes or concretizes them so that what happens, because in our culture the masculine principle is valued over the feminine principle, what happens is those with that are the embodiment of the feminine principle, so now we are getting into gender, we're getting into women and their bodies, their bodies are devalued. So, so then what happens is that what is considered to be an attractive or sexy woman's body is, is basically the body of a pubescent boy with breasts, <laughs> pretty much. And so, so that's a long answer because I think it's a big, big question. There, there are many factors involved in this. I love that. And I know that definitely media plays a role, as you mentioned. And it's no secret to any of our listeners that like with pornography, even with day-to-day advertisement, the images that we see in media is like unrealistic for most people, because many of the people comes from a different genes, different body type, and that's not uh, reasonable or feasible for them. But I love how you're talking about the deeper level, the part that society devalues this intuitive things that we cannot necessarily uh, feel like, like, it's like more emotional. And I know in your book, you talk about how uh, feminine energy is connected to rest of the earth. And it was fantastic to read about that. Well, those aspects of the feminine are instinct and intuition and emotion. So if you look at what instincts are, and and you probably know from, from working with women who struggle with eating difficulties, as do I, that one of the disconnects is from the instincts. So the instinct to eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full and move your body when it's energized and rest when it's tired. And we're taught to disregard all of these instincts. You know, we're taught to um, not eat when we're hungry and to keep really, really busy and not even stop to go to the bathroom and, and, or, or to rest or sleep. We're, we're taught 
all of us, men and women, are taught to deny our instincts. But then when you get to the sexual instinct, for example, it gets really denied in women. I mean, I remember years ago when uh, my older daughter, she was about, I think she was about in fifth grade, and we were talking uh, on the drive home from school, and she said, you know, I don't get it. It seems that if guys have a lot of sex, they're called studs, and if women have a lot of sex, they're called sluts, that doesn't seem fair to me. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, she's paying attention. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Because it's all part of that devaluing, dismissing, denigrating the aspect that I think, you know, for a woman is probably the most profound. It's the most profound form of power that she experiences that no one teaches us what to do with it. So it gets distorted. Right. And it's just like and devalued, as you said, because like mm-hmm. people I know, many, at least women I work with, they want to disown that part of themselves and they don't want to have, they don't, they just want to kind of rely on the what's considered, as you mentioned, like masculine part, the part right. that's like valued. And it just, it caused them to not be in touch with who they are, not to kind of rely on their, understand their intuition and instinct when appropriate. Right. Right. Well, feminine sexuality is very scary. Everybody's afraid of it. Okay. We have whole churches, governments, uh, men, women. I mean, it's like everybody is afraid of it because it is so profoundly powerful. We can barely wrap our minds around it. I mean, if you, if you think of, if you're a woman, your sexuality represents the most profound aspect of the capacity to create and sustain life. I mean, that's that's about as powerful as you can get. But the problem is, is that no one has taught us, any of us, how to work with that kind of power. And so what happens is that it gets distorted or it gets avoided or it gets, you know, misused in some ways or, or it, it gets devalued because we just don't quite know what to do with it. Right. And I know many women, they get repulsed and they're frightened from their sexual energy. And even with my clients, they're struggling with eating challenges. And when their sexual part comes out, they're just, Mm -hmm. they want to go high and they just want to go to the behaviors. So what, where do you think that's coming from? Well, I, one of the things it's coming from, um, and, and in my work with women and eating difficulties is they're afraid of their appetites. So they're afraid of all sorts of appetites and they're afraid of their hunger. And there's lots of different kinds of hunger, but there is a hunger for sexual expression. There is an appetite for that that is part of the human experience. But once again, because um, it's so powerful and we're not taught a whole lot about how to work with it, we become afraid of it. And what happens in my experience in working with women who struggle with eating difficulties is it gets, the fear gets displaced onto food. You see, because what happens is 
mm, the less you eat and the thinner you get, the, then the fewer curves you have. And, and ultimately, you can get to a place where you don't even feel your, your, your uh, sexual feelings at all. This is what happens when you go on a diet or you lose a lot of weight is you're not just losing the weight, you're losing your connection to your feminine sexuality. And for those that have been traumatized, for example, uh, in that regard, that's what they're going for, but they don't realize it. And so they think the problem is with food and they think the problem is with fat. And really, when you dive a little deeper and find out what's, what's really driving this, it's a fear of being a sexual being because in their experience, it seemed dangerous. Right. And I, that part of the book that you talk about that when we're restricting food and the hunger, we're probably mm -hmm. restricting relationships. Mm -hmm. And when we're mm -hmm. doing binging and purging, there is mm -hmm. a pattern there. Mm -hmm. I think I find it, it's very, that was very insightful. And many of my clients, they love it. And they really, after we explore it, they really resonate with that. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing, what's really kind of fun about this, and, and because the sexual piece is important, it's an important part of the recovery piece for someone struggling with disordered eating or an eating disorder, because it does have to do with appetites. And in, in my, I have an online course, The Light of the Moon Cafe, and we spend a whole week exploring this um, because it's it's an important part and, and nobody's talking about it. Nobody even knows, you know, how to find those connections and uh, between what's going on with them and food and them and their sexuality. And so it, it, is, it is something to be explored because if you can find those connections, you can disconnect. And a, a lot of times the food itself can, can help you get to that place. Uh, so, so the qualities of the foods that somebody might, you know, either binge on or restrict can really take them there. Uh, it, but it's coded, and so when you start to crack the code, you can you can discover that. For example, you know, if if somebody is binging on sweet foods, or maybe they're afraid to eat sweet foods. If sweet foods are, are an issue for them. Oftentimes, it's really the real issue has to do with either them feeling like there's not enough sweetness in their life or they're not sweet enough. And, and crunchy, salty foods are typically connected to unexpressed anger and, and frustration and warm foods for craving for emotional warmth and, and spicy foods, excitement, stimulation and change and chocolate. <laughs> chocolate is typically connected with, with romance sexuality and sensuality, which we know this at some level because why else do we give chocolate on Valentine's Day? And so if, if any of your listeners are interested in, in, in this breakdown, I have, a, I have a free handout that they can get by going to lightofthemooncafe.com forward slash SE and, and they can get that breakdown. But you, you can start to see the connections if you look at the struggle with what someone is going through with food and if they are also having uh, some struggle with their sexuality. You, you, the food holds that information, interestingly enough, in a coded way. So I'll give you an example. I had this client and she came in and she said, oh my gosh, you know, I, I really need your help because I can't stop eating jelly bellies. And I said, so now tell me, you know, tell me about jelly bellies. And she said, <laughs> well, they're really, really sweet. 
and um, they're 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 chewy. They last a long time, and they come in all different flavors. But I like them all at once. Well, it took me everything I could to to keep from laughing because what we had had been working on up until then was her dissatisfaction over her sexual uh, life with her husband. And basically, she was saying that it wasn't sweet enough. There wasn't (laughs) enough variety, and it didn't last very long. (laughs) And I said, oh, I don't think your problem is jelly bellies. (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny. So, so oftentimes that is coded in in the struggle with food that they're connected, and and then, but because they're all instincts, and and if once you learn the language of metaphor, though, you can start to see those connections that otherwise may not have been apparent. Right, and I and I know one of the things you based on the reading the book that you mentioned that maybe like feeding the true hunger can address many right. of the challenges exactly. with the food. And, and, and that hunger, you know, is really confusing for women because, like I say, from a very early age, we are taught to repress our sexuality. At the same time, though, we're given images that, that it's like, a, you know, it's like sexuality is, is used to sell all kinds of things. So on one hand, we're, we're taught, you know, no, 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 no. On the other hand, we're taught, yes, 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 yes. And it just gets so confusing. And 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 I when I think about when I was you know my girls are now grown but raising my girls and I remember they they had gone to a slumber party my one of my daughters had gone to a slumber party and came back and she started telling me about this movie they saw and I went oh my god I, I, I you know I was pretty careful about what movies I would let my kids see but you know there, there comes a point where you just can't control it all the time they were at a sleepover and then I started thinking about it and I realized that. My daughters have probably seen images of pretty much almost every sexual act before they'd even had their first kiss. Oh, wow. So I started thinking about it. What impact is that having on our girls where they're being taught about their sexuality from the outside in rather from experiencing it from the inside out? And honestly, I think so many women today struggle with that because they're being taught what sexy looks like, is supposed to look like. You know, you see a woman on a motorcycle, you know, with a uh, with very few clothes and her head is thrown back and her, her lips are half uh, open and they're glossy and her eyes are half masked. And, and it's like, you know, we're told that that's what sexy looks like. But we're not taught how to find what sexy feels like as an energetic in our own bodies. And so then what happens is women start having sexual experiences that are devoid of pleasure for them in many cases. And, you know, they might say, well, I think it's a little overrated or because it's not theirs. It's being delivered up in a way that doesn't even fit for what their natural instincts for pleasure uh, would guide them towards. 
What a beautiful way of putting it, because that's exactly right. And I know that sometimes people, like some women think that, okay, so if I don't look like that, I cannot feel the sexual yeah. energy and then maybe I'm not yeah. doing it right. Exactly. And this shame around the body. Exactly. And that's, that's what happens. And it's, it's now become so prevalent that I think that's pretty much almost every woman's experience these days. One of my, my favorite things to do is I, I do these soul hunger workshops around the country. And, um, and in one of the workshops, I work with the four faces of the feminine psyche. And at one point we deal with, I have all the women who are over 50 sit on one side of the room and all the women under 50 on the other side of the room. And I, I created, the older women get to be the queen's council and the younger women get to ask the older women anything they want to know, anything. And because it's a whole row of them, nobody's put on the spot. And the older women get to tell the younger women what they know now that they wish they had known when they were that age. And I have to tell you, every single time I've done this workshop, it always goes to sex. <laughs> and what's extraordinary is what the older women have to say. And here's where, as a culture, we are really missing out. Because the things these older women would tell the younger women about sex was so profound, so extraordinary, and sometimes very funny. Like I remember this one woman, and she was, she was kind of like a little mousy woman, and she got <laughs> she was talking, and she said, you know, when my husband died, it was really hard for me. But but the ladies from my church, they gave me this um, a book. It was in a brown bag, and and I I got I opened it up, and it was. Sex for one. Oh, <laughs> I, I love that. The time of my life. But <laughs> here's something that every single time I've done this workshop, these older women have said over and over and over again, something that I thought, well, that's interesting because it's not that, not anything we're taught. And what they, every single time I've said to the younger women, what you need to know about your sexuality, what I know now that I wished I had known at your age is that I get to set the pace. Now, who teaches us that, right? Absolutely. And just so, to so many of us, it's a foreign concept. People thinking about that this is what sex needs to look like. What should it be? And which is dictated by society and patriarchal values. So that's so true. Right. And because women aren't gathering in circle the way they used to, to share this kind of information. So, it, you know, maybe a woman can figure it out by the time she's older or not, but it doesn't get passed down. We don't have rituals. We don't have a container for helping us learn how to work with this very powerful energy when it starts to move through us as girls. So, you know, we don't have rituals. For example, when a, when a girl gets the most dramatic statement of of what it means to be the embodiment of the feminine principle when she gets with it that happens with menarche uh, her first menstrual cycle now we you know here we go this energy now is going to start to move through her but there's no women gathering in circle and and doing ritual and helping her understand how to work with and contain this energy. So as a result, it becomes disorderly. 
there's great fear around it and there's great shame around it. So here, here's where f- what I find for many women is connection with shame about their bodies and their sexuality um, begins with the with menarche, with the beginning of the menstrual cycle, where they're taught to be ashamed of this. And and they say that there's two kinds of secrets: those that are sacred and those that are shameful. And in the absence of something being treated as though it is sacred, it becomes shameful. And so I think for many women, very few have had the experience of exploring the sacredness of their sexual energy. And as a result, they become ashamed of their bodies and ashamed of their sexuality and ashamed of their sexual appetites. Absolutely. Right. And like from sometimes I see it this negativity, this shame get passed from generation to another generation. For example, some of my clients telling me like when I started having when I went to puberty, when I started having a period, the only thing I heard from my mom was like she said I have to watch what I eat from now on kind of Mm -hmm. instead of like celebrating Mm -hmm. it and talking about this powerful energy kind of gets portrayed in a way something you have to kind of be yeah make sure that it's not getting out of control frightened of you know you know there were generations where that was called the curse and and many you know girls were taught to to be afraid or be ashamed, not just of their sexuality, but of their their basic appetite for pleasure. So, you know, it all gets so jumbled up, it all gets so confused. And, you know, here we are, you know, uh, trying to untangle it as best we can. Right. And it's just such a challenging concept to learn and internalize if that's something that you didn't learn. And I know as a child, many of the, the women that I work with, many of even my friends, they want to trust, they want to embrace their uh, feminine, intuitive and their sensuality and sexuality, but they don't know how to, to do it in an authentic way. Mm-hmm. So what are some of your recommendations about that? Well, one of the things that I recommend is women's circle. And I don't mean it like, okay, getting in a women's circle and we're going to explore our sexuality. It's, it's, it's not limited to that. It's gathering in circle where you can talk about all kinds of emotions and intuitions as well as your sexual instincts and appetites where women gather to talk in a, in a deep, heartfelt way. You know, oftentimes there can be the conversation that's joking or sassy, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but I, I'm talking about a space where, where the conversations can be deep and authentic sharing can occur. So, I, you know, I find that that's really, really important because women feel so alone with it. Like I, I have this online circle uh, at the Light of the Moon Cafe, and there's women from all over the world that we have a forum where they communicate. And so, when we are doing the the section on sexuality, the sharing is unbelievable. It is so deep and and safe because you know for some women they can't do it face to face. And so this online community, but it's not a free for all. It's structured. It's structured around a, a particular topic or question, but 
it's so illuminating because we don't get to have these kinds of conversations very often. So I think, you know, women gathering together to do that is really, really important. You know, uh, it, it's such a touchy subject, though, that sometimes we need a little bit of distance from it in order to get the concepts. And so I that's why I use fairy tales and folk tales. Now, those are stories that have been passed down from generation to generation. And there's a lot of sexual wisdom that's embedded in them. But you have to be able to interpret them to understand the language of metaphor. And then you can get what some of the messages are. Right. And one thing you talked about was very, I found it fascinating, this relating to other women in a different way, talking about the circles and what a different way of relating to how many women relate to others. So I know like in this like mm-hmm. corporate America, in the workplace, mm-hmm. it's me versus you. So you don't want to show the vulnerability. And mm-hmm. it's just this kind of a hierarchy. So and I right. love this reframing and kind of like right. having a different way of connecting with each other. So we are not necessarily an enemy. We are like right. each other's support. Right. One of the most precious aspects of my life is being a part of a woman. I've been a part of a woman's circle for over 25 years. Wow. And and we would meet every new moon because there's always a new moon. And so, you know, if you're traveling or, if, you know, something's come up and you can't make it for that, for that time, there, you know, there's always going to be another new moon. And so we went through births and deaths and divorces and relationships and, and, you know, topic pregnancies. And I mean, you know, all the kinds of things that, that women experience deeply and profoundly. And it, it, it's not a therapy group it's just a group where we would support each other month after month, after month, after month. And it really gives you a depth of support that uh, is precious. Right, especially in this era that everyone, like I feel we don't have the support that mm-hmm. we used to have and people mm-hmm. are just so mm-hmm. isolated and disconnected. Right, right. And and that's why, you know, when I created the Light of the Moon Cafe with my partner, Elizabeth Peterson, she was a dietitian who worked with people struggling with eating. And she had come to a retreat that I did um, many years ago. I, I, I do uh, professional training retreats in, in Hawaii. And we, we do all the training in women's circle. And she said to me, she's from Virginia, and she said, oh, my gosh, I want to I take this back with me. And I said, all right, I can, I can teach you how to run women's circle. So she started creating Eating in the Light of the Moon support groups for women struggling with eating. And what happened is that nobody ever wanted to leave. So she was having <laughs> to create so many of them. And um, I had been traveling around the country doing soul hunger workshops, which are done in circle. And I teach women's circle. And, and I said, but, you know, I can only be so many places. And so she said, do you think it's possible to create this level of intimacy online. And I said, I have no idea, but I'm willing to try. And I've been amazed at at really, there's nothing better than face-to-face connection, to be sure. But sometimes, if this is all that's available, you begin with that. Because remember, the feminine principle is about connection. It's, it's, it's relational in nature. And the masculine principle is how we we separate and we divide things up, and there's value in that. 
um, neither is is more important than the other. But we live in a culture where now it's kind of gone overboard. There's so much separation, and 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 we're taught to individuate, and we're taught to kind of you know go off on our own and be independent. But the the there has been this undervaluing of the richness of connection and the depth and the ways in which we can grow and support each other. So uh, uh, that's one of the things that I highly recommend. And, and people go, well, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do it. It was like, you start with one friend. And, and what I learned is it has to be scheduled. The, there, if it's not scheduled, all of us live such busy lives that we just, it's not going to happen. Something's going to get in the way. So, so you commit to, that's why for us it was like, oh, okay, every new moon. That was easy enough, you know, just to come up with that. And then you can start with two people and then until you find a third who says, oh, I'd like to do that. And, and so, you know, eventually it got to the point where we were taking turns who would host it at, at their home. And, and, and so it, but because it was scheduled, it was able to continue. It, it created a containment. Right. And I think just what a reassuring thought to have that, like, you knowing that you have the group, that they're going to mm-hmm. have your back mm-hmm. and it's going to be, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, another moon. And just right. I think that can be very powerful. It, it's very powerful. And, and there would be times I remember I'd be so exhausted from a day of seeing clients and being with my kids and all the household stuff that needs to be done. I go, Oh my gosh, it's noon tonight and I'm too tired to go, but I would drag myself. And on the way home, I'd be singing. I'd be so energized because it was a place to refuel. We get so depleted. Absolutely. And it's just so amazing that you committed all these years. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, I no longer live in the same place, but I do travel back and forth. So whenever I'm in town, there it is for me. Awesome. So I know, Dr. Johnson, you have great different resources. I love your book. You have the workshops and everything. And I bet many of our listeners would love to connect with you. So what would be the best way of connecting with you and contacting you? Well, um, one of two ways. You can either go to my personal website, which is dranitajohnston.com, or connect with me via email at draj1 at aol.com, or you can reach me through the lightofthemooncafe.com, or anita at lightofthemooncafe. Awesome. I'll make sure I leave those information in the show notes. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and all this great way of thinking and uh, looking at the world that's just not so familiar to most of us. Mm-hmm. You're, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. This is what I like to talk about. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. I am grateful for Dr. Johnson for sharing her wisdom with us. One of the topics, one of the areas that I have been working on in my own personal journey in past few years is on cultivating and embracing my feminine energy. Growing up in a patriarchal society, I was always afraid of my feminine energy. I was thinking if I show my intuitive side, my emotional side, I would be perceived as less than. And I feel for years and years, I had this, I struggled with height that my part of myself, which wasn't healthy and it wasn't honoring my journey. So that's why I decided in past few years to 
take a chance, be courageous, and kind of explore this part of myself. And I've noticed how my relationship with my immediate families, with my friends, with my clients changed drastically. So if you are someone who struggle with embracing your feminine energy, as Dr. Johnson mentioned, I invite you to create your own circle and do your inner journey to connect with that part of yourself. And I can guarantee that that will transform your relationship. At the end, I wanted to remind you guys that if you got a question, feel free to record your voice in our website. There's a part that says, Ask Dr. M. And I'll listen to the question. If that's something that's within an area of my expertise, I'll answer it. If not, I'll find another expert to join us and answer your question. I cannot wait to hear your voice and answer your questions. I'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.